when I first got to California um, in 2005, 14 years ago, man, it's, I'm getting old. I'm 33 this year. Uh, someone, when I came, reminded me, oh, 33, Jesus was 33. I said, yeah, when he was crucified. So, you know, uh, I don't know what that means, but anyways, that has nothing to do with today. Um, the crucifixion does, the, the resurrection more so, but anyways. Um, I uh, went to check in to uh, my command, and uh, as they were flipping through, they said, did you know you're supposed to get a bonus? I said, what? Like, I remember signing a thing, but you don't know what you're doing. You just kind of do whatever you're told when you go. And, um, and so they said, you're supposed to get a bonus, and so you'll see a, a check coming in your account. And so suddenly, uh, I don't know, like 30 days later, I had this sum of money enter into my account. I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, but it was like $4,500. You know, it was big money. But for me at the time, it was huge. Like, I mean, at that point, I was making $316 per paycheck, yes. And uh, uh, the way I did my finances was I had a credit card from my bank, USA, and I uh, set that limit to the amount of my paycheck. And so if it stopped, if it got declined, I knew, well, I've spent more than I have, and so I'll just stop spending money. And that was how I did finances. And so uh, I, you know, Taco Bell, and it would decline and say, man, I guess I'm not eating Taco Bell today, or I'd borrow money from a friend and never pay him back. And so, so that was how I did finances. And when that money hit my account, I thought, this is incredible. Like, what am I going to do with all this money? Those of you with kids in a mortgage went like, or like, that's, I mean, that's gone like that, isn't it? But like when you're 19 and you, that's a lot of money. And so I did what every young enlisted guy does when you get a bonus uh, out of nowhere. I blew it on a motorcycle. And so I went to uh, a dealer and I said, which motorcycle can I buy with this amount of money? And he said, you can buy that. But for double that amount, you can buy this one and it'll go really fast. And I went, I want to go really fast. So I financed it. And so I put down all the money that I owed, uh, that I had uh, from the bonus, plus the 33 bucks or whatever that was actually in my account. And then on top of that, I financed the rest at a really great rate of 17% interest. It was a deal. And so, yes, amen, right? And so, by the way, if you think that's a good idea, can you talk to me afterwards? You need to go through financial peace together. It was a terrible idea. I paid double payments for 18 months and owed only $500 when I traded that thing in. So, uh, terrible idea. But I had this motorcycle that went really, really fast. But there was a problem. I had no idea what to do with a motorcycle. I thought, I have some experience riding uh, dirt bikes growing up. I'd be fine. And so a week in, we went on a, uh, I was in the military, we went on a command ride, and um, there were four, uh, there were four street bikes that kind of went ahead of everybody, and I was the least experienced, so I was in the back, and then all the rest of the cruisers and everything else uh, would kind of catch up, so we'd ride ahead, and if you've ever done that kind of a thing, you know what I'm talking about. The fast bikes go fast, and then you wait, and everyone catches up, and then you go ahead, and that kind of a thing. We were on the 33. The 33 is a road north of Ventura County. You see it on commercials all the time where, um, you know, it says like next 33 miles and it has a squiggly line. Oh, man, it was awesome. And I thought I was hot stuff. I tell you what, we were riding and booking it and I was following those in front of me until, well, we hit somebody who was not hit. We got behind somebody who was not going quite as fast as we wanted to go. 
And so one by one, they scooted around, and I was left, and I was lagging behind for about five minutes, and I thought, you know what? At the next turn, I'm just going to go for it. So I did. At the next blind right turn, I decided to try to pass on the outside this RV that was getting in my way, going 25 miles an hour, when you can at least go 60 around those curves on a motorcycle. And so as I went to pass, I went to go around it, and what had happened was... (laughs) Uh, on the outside of those lanes, and you've been in mountain areas before, uh, there's a kind of like a, a, a warning lane or like half of a warning lane that's made up of, of uh, sand and gravel, you know, and it's kind of to slow you down in case you don't hit the turn right. Well, somebody had done that, kicked up sand and gravel onto the road, and so as soon as I went down on two wheels, my back wheels started to spin out underneath me, and I was headed toward the side rail and over the side of a cliff. And I thought, this isn't a good idea. This is not what I had in mind when I bought my motorcycle and went into debt that I could not pay and uh, started to go super fast because I wanted to go fast. And so as I was sliding to it, I thought to myself in my young 19-year-old mind, I have put everything I have into this motorcycle. I don't want to lose it. And so as soon as I hit the guardrail, I kicked off the motorcycle and went off the side of the cliff. It was fantastic. Now, here's what happened. On that cliff, there were two trees that were like like maybe 30 feet down. And by the grace of God, I landed upside down in one of them, slid on top of my head. And then I realized, if I move, I die. I was like a turtle flapping his arms, stuck upside down on a tree going, I don't know what to do here. Now, I tell you all that to say this. The next day, that was on a Sunday, that's why you ought to go to church, but also the next day, I got a phone call. My XO, my executive officer, the guy who, well, I just had never talked to somebody that high at that point in my life before, he wanted to talk to me. What I did not know is that he was in the group that was riding, and he had heard and seen and was part of the human chain to bring me back up the cliff onto my broken, busted up motorcycle to figure out how in the world we're going to get this kid home. And he wanted to have a conversation with me. Now, all of my buddies who were there, they started giving me uh, some really positive kind of, you know, platitudes. Uh, A platitude is a phrase that helps kind of resolve unease, but actually doesn't mean anything at all. You know, things like, uh, it's not broken in until it's broken, you know. Like, breaking in your motorcycle, or like, oh, everyone wrecks, you're fine, I wrecked one time, you'll be good to go. But when I went into his office, after, not, I didn't get congratulated, I didn't get the single platitude, and you know what I did? Man, I got yelled at. You know what he said? I can't tell you, right? Like, (laughs) he did not appreciate my endangering everybody, the fact that I had, without permission, bought a motorcycle with terrible options, gone into debt that I had no hope of repaying, and then on top of that, wasted his time and ruined his beautiful ride. I don't know what was more terrible. He yelled at me. And in that moment, I remember thinking like, whoa, what in the, I'm the one that wrecked here. I'm the one that was in trouble. I'm the one that ruined my finances here with this beautiful purchase that is now useless in this moment. And even though, and I was offended that he wasn't giving me platitudes, but you know what he was giving me? 
He was giving me truth. You see, the truth was that I had come to a place by my own actions that I was in massive debt that I could not pay. I had ruined the very thing that was designed to bring joy. And on top of all of that, I had wasted everybody else's time because of my actions. The whole thing had to stop and a bunch of them had to go home because I had no way of getting home on my busted up motorcycle that I couldn't afford to fix on my own anyways. Now I'm telling you all of that because this morning as we enter into 1 Peter chapter 1, what Peter is going to do is not give us a bunch of moral platitudes, sayings that help break the unease of what it is in life, but then in reality don't mean anything. You know these kinds of platitudes, right? Oh, just, 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 have, just have faith, right? Or no, man, hey, as long as you're trying, as long as you do your thing, as long as you go to church, as long as you uh, come to Easter, hey, as long as you're a member somewhere, oh, I know somebody who went somewhere, where did you grow up? I grew up going to, what's the name of that place? These platitudes that we often use in our own lives to pat ourselves on the back, to ease the discomfort of the true reality of our souls that we, apart from Christ, are in a debt we cannot pay. We've taken the vehicle of life that he's given us and have completely wrecked it. We've wasted the resources that God has used to bring us joy. We've gone into a, into a commitment with sin that we, have to, that we have to stand accountable for that will only lead us to death. And what Peter is going to do is he's now going to cut straight through the middle of all of that and the lives of those he's writing to and help them see what it is that brings actual, true hope and joy that cannot be ruined, that cannot be wrecked, that cannot be, uh, that the shine cannot fade away. He's going to introduce them to the reality of salvation in the gospel. You need to hear this this morning. Because what happens in life is that we begin to face the reality of a broken, busted up world. And in the middle of all of that, if we're not super careful, the foundation upon which we build our quote unquote Christian life will begin to crumble if it, isn't, if it is anything else other than the gospel of the resurrected Savior. You know what I'm talking about. When you come to a place at your job where you were there for the job for decades, but suddenly the job is no longer there for you. Where you come to a place in a relationship where all of your trust and love and hope was built. And by bad decisions the night before or years before that now come to light, or on the deployment before that now comes to light, suddenly your world begins to crumble. Or maybe you have lived a fantastic life for decades and decades. You've always helped the old lady cross the street, and you've always given to charities, and you've always been nice, and you didn't, you've always been nice, and you didn't cuss and drink and smoke, at least while people were seeing you. And uh, you only watched rated G movies, and you didn't really have any bad thoughts, and you're never angry, and you're just a nice person, but you're looking at the end of your life, something you cannot conquer where the reality of death is at your door and a memory of strength that has now been lost is constantly on 
your mind and you're wondering what's next. You see, when we face these realities, these thoughts and sayings of the Christian life that we find often from people with good intentions and Instagram with followers don't really get us through, does it? You see, the people in 1 Peter were suffering incredibly. What had happened was the world around them had begun to change. And as the world around them had begun to change, the reality of their salvation was now facing their suffering and the normal platitudes that were a part of their former faith were no longer enduring because they were enduring difficult trials. And into the, here, in here today, what Peter is going to say to those who are in trials about the beautiful thing that actually endures through all times to all people in all places can help you endure in your time with your people in your places. And it is this, that we serve a resurrected Jesus who brings us, who gives us living hope. In fact, if there's a way to summarize the sermon today, and then you can check out and you don't have to pay attention from the, for the rest of this time, but maybe you will. If there's one way to, serve, to, to summarize the sermon today, something I would write down if I did not already write it down with notes, it would be this. Peter's going to say that my undefeated God guards my incorruptible inheritance. Peter's going to tell us how God, through the resurrection, has given us something that cannot be corrupted, and that inheritance, even if you've wasted your life up until this point, or if you're a follower of Christ, even when you go through seasons where you attempt to corrupt the gift that God has given, that God is the one who guards your inheritance. He is the one that guards your salvation. And if you aren't a follower of Christ, you're going to learn this morning what the gift of God is that he offers in Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you're going to see the freedom that the resurrection offers if you are in here today and you would say, I have been living and spending my life on a debt I cannot pay. I have, been, I have gotten myself to a place where I am broken in this vehicle of life that God has given me. I have not been wielding or stewarding well. I am going to a place where Christian platitudes that I have grown up on no longer fit. And as a follower of Christ, you're going to see freedom that the resurrection brings. Not to compel you to try to earn your salvation, but to compel you to live in your salvation. Because you hold on to something that cannot be corrupted. And that's a beautiful thing, especially in our area and with the backgrounds that I know around the room. If you were raised in a tradition of faith that you had to work really, really hard to stay in the favor of God, or you had to work really, really hard to not lose some portion of your salvation. Or maybe you were raised in a faith background that your parents told you because of something that they did for you to help you learn the things of God as 
a kid that now your whole life rests on that idea that you have no memory of. That if you're in here today and your faith lies on something other than a living hope in the resurrected Christ, this passage has something to say to you. And it's going to say that your undefeated God guards your incorruptible inheritance for those who are followers of Christ. In fact, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. You guys know what the word mercy means, right? Mercy is when you don't give someone something that they deserve. Uh, You've seen it in fight movies or whatever. Uh, Whenever someone says, mercy, what it means is, stop giving me this, I am being defeated. And what what, uh, Peter is starting out saying is that according to the great mercy of God, the great character of God, that he gives what is not deserved and withholds what is deserved to somebody. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, don't get all theological on me on this with the word caused here, but here's what this means. This means that Peter is writing to people who are suffering in persecution, who are suffering through trials, who are wondering what in the world is going on around me, where does my hope lie? And he puts them straight back to the fact that God himself is the one behind the idea that you are indeed born again, that it is not on you That it wasn't even anything you brought. You weren't good enough. You were in debt. You were in bondage. You you couldn't earn your way there. And here's what God did. He caused you to be born again. Now, for the other side of that theological spectrum, he caused you to be born again, continuing on in this passage, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That there was a moment to those that Peter is writing to where God in their life opened their eyes and they confessed their sins and believed that I serve a resurrected Christ. And that reality now causes within them to have an indwelling living hope for those who are born again. But what Peter doesn't answer here is what does it look like to be born again? Well, here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be a theologian to know what it looks like to be born again. Did you know that? Like, I'm, I have no, like, baby doctor delivery training. I have none, right? I was there for one birth, and it was awesome, but I had no idea what was going on. And in the process of that, I can every single time tell if someone has been born or not. You can too, right? Do you know how you know if someone's been born? Because they've been born, right? Because they're living and breathing and moving. In fact, let's just exercise our are they born uh, muscles right now. Look at the person next to you. Now assess. Have they been 
born. I'm not saying are they, have they grown up. I'm saying have they been born? And if they're sitting next to you, yes, they have. You know why? Because you can see them living and breathing and moving and they're born. And in this passage, we make it so complicated. In fact, thankfully, verse 4 is here. It's going to describe what, it, what, we, what those who are born again have. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to being born again, do you know, do you see yourself as born again? Do you understand the reality of what it is to be born again? You see, you don't have to lie to yourself and those around you as to whether or not you've been born again. It's obvious to you. It's obvious to those who know scripture. And it's most obvious to God himself, who is not fooled at all, as to whether or not you have been born again to a living hope. In just a minute, we're going to see that God defines being born again by faith in the resurrected Christ. And so to cut through all of this, to help us out, to move from the physical to the spiritual reality, to be born again simply means to place your faith in the resurrected Christ. And so here's the question. Peter is writing to those who have a living hope because they've been born again, because they've placed their faith in a resurrected Christ. And if you have no living hope, you have not come to a place where you have placed your faith and trust in a resurrected Christ, you now know what it means that you now don't meet the definition, rather, of being born again. It is just as simple as looking at the live person next to you. That's all the theological training that you need this morning. Have you been born again? Because for those who are born again, now Peter's going to get past all of that into the reality, not just Christian principles, but the actual theology of those who've been born again and why we can stand and say, and why Peter will say in 1 Peter that his and our undefeated God guards our incorruptible inheritance because what you receive as someone who is born again is a brand spanking new life something that is look in verse four something that is an inheritance imperishable it cannot be uh, time will not allow it to fail undefiled it cannot be tainted and unfading it will not lose its shimmer and glamour kept in heaven for you That this gift, this inheritance of salvation that God offers you, having caused you to be saved through faith and response to the invitation of God through Jesus Christ. That this inheritance cannot be corrupted because it is God himself who keeps it. If you're not a follower of Christ and this morning you have never come to a place where you have crossed the line of faith, into following Jesus, I want you to know everything about your life is so corruptible. There's literally nothing about you or me in and of ourselves 
that will not fade with time, that cannot be tainted, that will not lose its shine. But everything that we have to offer in life at one point or another will fail. And so God has caused His salvation through faith in Jesus Christ to give you something that will always be pure, that will always be clean, that will never fail. He has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and undefading, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's how we'll summarize this. That our God, who calls us, keeps us. That's what Peter wants him to see. That God, through the resurrection of Christ, has defeated all things that would come against you because of sin. And that God, who calls you, keeps you. This is beautiful news for for a follower of Christ. That I now can look at my life, and not just the things that I'm ashamed about, but all the things that caused the shame, and all of the things that caused the things that caused the shame, and know that all of those things were taken away at the cross of Christ and His resurrection. That none of that taints my standing before God. I can look at all of the ways that I failed in my life. I can see all of the ways that I will fail in the future. And instead of defining my salvation on my ability to tell myself Christian things, I can now define my salvation on the finished work of Christ that will never fade. If you're a follower of Christ, the resurrection of Christ is a freeing reality. That I serve a risen King. That my hope will live as long as He lives and He lives forever and ever and I will get to enjoy Him forever and He is my King and He will never fail. I know what some are saying in your minds today. You're saying, but but Tim, you don't know me, bro. Or brother. Or sir. Or whatever. You don't don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know the shame that I've brought upon myself or my family. You don't know the secrets that I'm hiding. You you don't know the feelings that I have that I never share with others. You, You don't know what I did the last year, let alone even last night. Tim, you don't know me. You don't know my marriage. You don't know my relationships. You don't know how I act on deployment and work up versus home. And man, you're right, I don't know. But look at what verse 5 says. Because if it seems like this is like too good to be true, that you can actually define your entire life by what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. I want you to know, I don't know anything about that, about any of you. But I do know what God promises to every person who would believe in Jesus. He promises that he who calls you, he's going to keep you. Well, listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, 
who, okay, that's you, who, by God's power. He's not guarding you. Listen to what it says. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He is not guarding you by your ability and your power to stay in his favor. He is guarding you by the very power of God himself. This is a beautiful thing. And actually, if you're not a follower of Christ, this is an incredibly scary thing. Because you have no power to stay in the favor of God. He does it because he's God. He loves you because he's your heavenly father. He cares for you because he's your heavenly father. He shows you, even if you were the worst person, that the definition of your life would be an enemy of God, would be someone who is dead in sin, would be someone who is given up to a corrupt mind. Even if you were someone who was so far from God that no one would ever love you or identify you as someone of God, God can still save you and rescue you. If that is you, and that's the biblical definition of all who are in sin, If that is you, even to the point where you deserve death, God conquered death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one that guards you by his power. Because he loves you. Because he's your heavenly father. I have a two-year-old. I know you all know that. A few months ago, the rotavirus went through our house. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad, right? Well, uh, one, one night he, um, he started crying and he woke up and he was, just, he was just covered. I mean, head to tail, the whole crib, like the wall. It just was bad. It just, everything was covered. If you don't have kids, you're like, that's, why, that's nasty why you're saying that. If you have kids, you're like, yeah, okay, so where are we going with it? <laughs> just, just a normal part of life. And so when I go in, and every time, most of the times, when he's not kicking and screaming and talking about trucks or whatever, when I, when I help clean up his messes, I say, but I, I'm cleaning you up because I'm your dad, and I'll clean up every mess that you make. Now, here's the reality. I know there's going to be a day where he's going to make messes bigger than I can clean up, where it's not dirty diapers anymore. It's just a crashed car or a broken relationship or jail or financial debt that is beyond my means to help. Like, I know I'm limited, but right now, when I walked in and saw him in his mess, I could care less about his condition. (laughs) How wicked of a dad would I have been? And maybe this was your experience, and so this is... But how wicked, this is not a picture of a good dad. How wicked of a dad would I have been if I walked in and said, I cannot believe you got sick. You figure this out on your own. I can't believe you have such, made such, um, you're inconveniencing me right now. I'm trying to do my thing. No way, he's two and crying. Walk in and scoop him up. and Yeah, my shirt gets a little dirty, but I have the ability to make it clean. Yeah, he's scared, but I have the ability to calm his heart. Yeah, he's a mess, and he did not like being in the bath at 2 a.m. with a fever, but that's what he had to do to clean him up. 
And while Megan was getting everything else cleaned and changed and bleached and all the stuff, I hope that the rotavirus never goes into your house. It was terrible. You see, while she was doing that, I was, because she's better at it, and also she's tougher than I am, and I just was holding her, man. You see, that's, that's what a father does for someone who's in a mess. And that's in a very limited way what I can do for my child. And now crossing to the spiritual reality, I can guard any mess my kid makes, at least in a limited way for a limited time. I can fix anything that he breaks at least in a limited way, for a limited time. And I can be there to help whatever it is that is stealing joy from my child, at least in a limited way, for a limited time. But that whole idea is what Peter is saying in verse 5, God does for your imperishable, undefiled, unfading salvation. He keeps in heaven and allows you to participate in your inheritance in a a very unlimited way, for an unlimited amount of time. That it is God himself by his power who guards you no matter the mess that you make or have made. No matter how faded your life has become or not been. No matter what you have broken, that he keeps it in heaven and by his power, he restores all things. That you as a follower of Christ are no longer working for salvation. You're working for the God who has given you salvation. You get to live and dwell in this beautiful, imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that he has given you in Jesus Christ. And he has sealed in his resurrection. And you're not having to earn being his child, but rather he takes you just as you are, cleans you up. You might not like the process, but he cleans you up and he says, you're mine and I will do this forever and ever and ever. I'm guarding this salvation that I have given you and I'm not relying on you to keep earning it because you never earned it in the first place. Man, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're like a, you're like a two-year-old stuck in a crib he doesn't even know how to climb out of in his little zippity zip so his arms can't even go high enough. Covered a mess from top to bottom trying to fend for yourself. You're never going to get anywhere. You see, you need your Father, your Heavenly Father, to intercede and say, I, man, I'll, I'll clean you up. One last story, and look at the rest of verse 5, and then we'll close out here. Who by God's power are being guarded, it's God's doing that, man, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Easter celebration reminds us that there is only one way to cross the finish line of faith into a relationship with Jesus Christ 
to cross the line of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that one way that God has defined is by faith in Him. That's it. If you've been listening closely, this is like the same sermon three times over. That only by grace, through faith, you are saved. If your definition of being a follower of Christ is anything other than confession of sin and believing in God for what he has done through Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, you do not have an inheritance that's guarded by God. You at your best will guard it the best you can. And if whether life or time uh, causes you to fail, it will all fail in the end. Not a single person has lived forever except for one, and he's the one that has an inheritance ready to give for all who would believe in him. In fact, this morning, I, we're going to close with this question. Have you crossed the line of faith to believe in Jesus Christ? The Easter celebration gives us a moment where we are faced with this reality. What do I believe in? What am I relying on to be pure and clean? Is it something that's actually very perishable, very defiled, and easily loses its splendor? In fact, right now, let's just ask that question. All of you have a card, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, when it comes to the beauty of the resurrection, we have a moment where we get to say forever that my undefeated God, He's the one who guards my incorruptible inheritance, because my inheritance is what Christ has done alone. We get to proclaim, as Peter tells us, as God tells us through Scripture, that the one who calls me keeps me. That if you're a follower of Christ, maybe you need to allow that reality to rest over you. That you've been beating yourself up for things that God has forgiven you for a long time ago. Or you need to go to your Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness for things He is ready clean up. That by His power, He is keeping your salvation. That He is caused and called and you, by faith, have responded to salvation. That if you're a follower of Christ, man, you just need to rehearse the gospel and allow that truth to make you more in love with Jesus and more like Him because you came this morning. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, would you ask yourself the question, have I really crossed the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you define your relationship with God by something like trying to earn it or going to church or trying to be good enough? And that, Man, those are all, not all of those are inherently evil things. Like you ought to be a good person and you ought to believe in positivity and all that stuff. But man, that does not save you. 
But rather, there's a greater reality that defines all of those things that God himself has purchased for you that is incorruptible, imperishable, and unfading through the resurrection of Jesus Christ by believing in him. And today, if you'd say, I've never crossed the line of faith to become a follower of Christ, why don't you make today the day that 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 happens? If God himself is calling you to be saved, then why don't you choose to respond and ask him to save you? In this moment, why don't you cry out to God if you're not a follower of Christ, something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you paid the penalty for my sin. And that you were raised back to life. I ask God that you would forgive me of my sin. And allow me to trust and follow you. Thank you, God, for saving me. It's in Jesus' name you pray. And this morning, if that's you, there's a little box on your card. We don't do this every week. It's just a way that honors your time that allows us to follow up with you later this week. That says, today I crossed the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And checking that box, if today was the day you became a follower of Christ, just allows me to give you a call, set up a time where we can talk, talk about next steps, figure out what's going on in life. And so if that's you, would you take the time to put your name, email, and phone number and check that box? Checking the box doesn't save you, but those who were saved today, would you check that box? At the end of the service today, in just a few minutes, there's going to be people at the door with baskets. And if you're a follower of Christ and you brought your tithes and offerings, that's the place to put them. If you're not a follower, of, or if today you uh, checked that you crossed the line of faith to become a follower of Christ, would you put that card in there? And in fact, everybody right now during this last song, I would love to know how I can pray for you as the location pastor here, how we can serve you as a church, or just what's going on in your life. And so if everyone would pull this thing out and fill it out during this last song, and then whenever you're ready, you're not less spiritual if you stay, sit longer, you're not more spiritual if you stand up sooner. But whenever you're ready, join in on this last song as we celebrate the resurrected King. Let's pray, and then let's respond appropriately. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being so good to us. I pray, dear God, that you would allow us to respond with courage and conviction in this time. Give us wisdom as we respond. Help us to walk out of here more in love with you, more like you. God, thank you that you give us something that's incorruptible, that's imperishable, that's unfading. Oh God, I pray that the reality of what you've done for us in Christ, I pray that the power of his resurrection that now defines our life by living hope would be so real to us. Lord, for those who've been through 50 Easter services or for those who this is the first one. 
Lord, I pray that this time of worship and response would be so real because of your presence that we can't help but walk out of here more in love with you, more like you than when we came. It's in your name we pray.